Good morning. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you if you're here for the first time. I shook your hands with a few people who are here for the first time. We're especially delighted to have you with us, and hopefully you feel as at home for your first time as some of the other people who shared their stories. If you don't, hey, keep coming and keep walking with us. One of our favorite things to do is not just to get to know you, but to hopefully, hopefully get to help you understand the glorious message of the gospel. That's honestly why we exist. We do everything else we do to help get this message of the gospel deeper into us and further out from us. That, honestly, that's why we exist. This message is so good. That's why we're calling volunteers to help out. We, we feel no shame to, to get our hands stuck in if it's for the glory of God and for the good of the gospel in our city. It, it's such a magnificent thing to live for. And uh, so welcome. I hope I can unpack something of what that is for us today. Um, one of the things that we're, uh, it's cool for you to be aware of, and we actually want to tell you first before you drive past it, is that on the R27, in a couple of days' time, you're going to be driving and you're going to look up at this big sign and it's going to say, Common Ground Church, now meeting in Elkana High School, and starting on the 26th. And it's actually quite like, that's the biggest we've ever gone in terms of a marketing sort of thing. And um, we want you to be the first to know about it because we want you to hear that this is from a heart of what we want for our city. This is not what we want by way of trying to get the Common Ground brand. You'll see pretty small, and uh, we're not trying to, to fill the city with common ground. We're trying to help the city know that we as Common Ground Church and, and the church, there's so many churches just like ours that also love Jesus and love the gospel, we mean business. We believe this message from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes, and we really, really want people to give some thought to their lives and to their spirituality and to what they're spending their lives on. And so when you look at that sign, go... This is because God means business with our city, and He cares about our city. And as you drive past it, maybe we want to just say, God, use me, use us to make a difference in this city. We really do believe He's going to do that, and uh, it's a team effort. So there we go. We are uh, going a little more public than usual. Now you know why. So we're in a series, and we're looking at this question, who are we becoming? Who are the people who see that road sign and say, hey, I'll go check out Common Ground Church. Who are they meeting? And they walk through the doors. What kind of people are they meeting? And in 2030, will those people still be the same? Will they still be the same? Will they have the same hang-ups and the same habits and the same struggles? Will they keep repeating the, the same things that they've repeated for ages? Will they still be annoyed with the same things that have been annoying them in their personal lives as they did in 2020? Hey, are they the kind of people who are maybe changing? Are they the kind of people who actually care about who they're becoming? And probably one of the biggest questions you could ask yourself at the beginning, not just of a year, but of a decade, is who am I becoming? I'm not talking about this from a self-help perspective so that you get more fulfilled, but who am I becoming? Because who I become could be one of my greatest gifts I give to God. Who I become is one of the greatest gifts I get to give back to God. The person I'm becoming. Jesus came to this earth, and one of the big critiques of the church, the evangelical church, is that so much of Christianity is how do we get people into heaven? And the critique is, maybe we spend too much time trying to say to people, here's your fire insurance for heaven, and spend too little time 
trying to help people get heaven into them. Too little time helping people become more like the God who came from heaven and modeled to us what humans are meant to be like. Jesus came to this earth and he provides amazing grace and he says, this is the love of God. That one man, Jesus Christ, would live the life we could never live and then he would go and die the death that we should have died because of our personal rebellion against God and because of our ignorance of God and because our uh, turning our back from his ways and Jesus comes and lives that life we should have lived and it's astounding. And then he goes and he dies a death in, in our stead and he shows that there is a new king on the throne of human Kind, and we can now serve and follow him. But it's not just so that we know that we're safe when things go pear-shaped, so that when we die, we're okay. No, no, God died. Jesus came to show us how to say there is life before death, not just after death, and it starts right now. And Jesus said, hey, most of what you do matters in how, who you're becoming, most of what matters about you is that you are a city on a hill. You're a group of people who are meant to be a reflection of my love. By this will all men know that you're my disciples because of your love for each other. Hey, you and I are called this year and called this decade to start a journey of becoming people who become more and more like Jesus. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then, then for now, just listen in. I hope you can hear the essence of the message that will help you to want to follow Jesus and want to become more like him. But, but, but I want to just explain this for a moment. Hey, there's a guy named Jordan Rayner. He talks about something called mastery. He, write, he writes a book called Mastering One. Uh, I think it's called Mastering One. And he basically explains that uh, so many of us uh, basically try our best to be, be a jack of all trades. And he suggests, actually, we should master just one thing. And he simply says this. He says, so many of us, we're told, if you're a millennial or even a little older than being a millennial, basically we were taught this. Find something you love and do that and you will be happy. Here's the problem. Statistics show that so many people are searching for the thing that they love and they're just still not that happy in their careers. They just can't seem to find the happiness in their career. They, they're searching around for all sorts of stuff and it still isn't providing, even though they maybe thought they loved it. And he suggests, no, it's the wrong way around. We've been duped. And the stats seem to prove it as well, and most psychologists agree as well, that actually it's not about finding something that you love to do, it's actually the other way around. It's about finding something and beginning to do it better and better and better. And as you start to master that thing, you begin to love it more and more and more. And the stats seem to prove it over and over again, that some people actually stumble into a career, they begin to get good at it, and because they begin to get good at it, they begin to enjoy it. And because they enjoy it, they keep working hard at it. And that begins to generate incredible momentum. Hey, I, I, I'm giving you good career advice here. Start to work hard. But, but this can also apply to your spiritual life. Because in our spiritual lives, we can do something really similar. We basically put, you know, can look at our spiritual lives and go, oh, it's pretty tough, this whole thing of following Jesus. I tried it a while ago. And now I'm just in maintenance mode. I pitch up a church and I, I'll, I've signed up for a life group and I'll go there every now and again and, and get a little involved. The problem is, is we're not moving towards mastery. 
We're not moving towards getting really good at it. And so the joy levels stay lower. The adrenaline rush of getting good at something is so mesmerizing and fantastic. And what Jesus says is he says, come, follow me. That's what his call is to us, is to come follow him and start to become disciples of his. Start to become apprentices. Start to work on becoming better and better at following Jesus. And the more you begin to do that, the more enjoyable it becomes. And you put focus, time, and energy, and effort into it. It's not just a small slice of the pie of your life where you're just sort of trying to you know, balance out parenting or work or career or finances or whatever else. It's not just like, you know, and then Jesus has you know, one-tenth of your life. No, no, you spend your life trying to follow him better in everything that you do, and suddenly you begin to taste what mastery feels like. You begin to taste that actually the ways of Jesus are better than the ways of any other op- option. Suddenly humility becomes so wise and, and it makes sense in your world. And suddenly to serve rather than to be served starts to make sense. Suddenly to, to read the scriptures and have a, a wide view of the world and to understand the problems of sin makes sense of your life. And you're looking upon the world as you begin to master what does it mean to follow Jesus. This apprenticeship starts to spark to life and then the world makes sense. Another author uh, writes and he says, you know, we've got so much freedom in our lives. We've got so much freedom. You can choose to do or be whatever you like in our constitution. the, The options are endless. But the problem, says this author, is that although we've got so much freedom, we've got so little meaning in our lives. And to follow Jesus is to begin to find meaning for the lives we live. Yes, you can have freedom. Yes, you can choose a whole bunch. But do you know why you do what you do? Do you have a big white hot why under who you're becoming and what you're doing with your life and why your career matters and why your marriage matters and why parenting matters and why singleness matters and what it means to be a contributing member in society? Why is all this valuable? Jesus brings the white hot why into your life and he calls us to begin to follow him. Hey, we've called this Practice Makes People. This series is the beginning of the year and a time where we may be feeling a little more courageous to make some bigger decisions and start to say, who am I becoming and am I possibly willing over this season to begin to make some lifestyle decisions that are going to shape the next decade? Because I'd hate for us to miss a moment, to miss an opportunity where we begin to make some small adjustments to maybe the daily routines of our lives, to maybe the bigger uh, views of how we do things that are going to shape the course of our lives. One degree change over a couple of meters doesn't actually change much. But over a decade of traveling, you could end up at a different continent altogether. Hey, some of the small decisions we make could make massive changes in our lives. Listen to uh, what Matthew Kelly says. I read it last week. Most people overestimate what they can do in a day, and they underestimate what they can do in a month. We overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. What could we do this decade? What could God do with you? What could God do with you? I shared these last week, but I want you to hear it again. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, The old has gone. The new is here. 
Speaking of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you've been given a new heart. When you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus died our death to sin so that we could start a new life, a life to God, a life, a Godward life that makes it possible to live in his kingdom, his ways. Ezekiel chapter 36 says it like this. It's a prophecy of what's going to happen if you believe in Jesus. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here's, Here's the promise there. The promise is that when you believe in Jesus, you get a whole new operating system, a new DNA that motivates you and empowers you to live in a way that maybe you never thought possible. You just think of yourself and you go, Flip, man, I'm prone to jealousy. I just keep looking at other people and I I want what they've got or I want to be what they like. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can beat that. I'm prone to addiction. I just just always need stuff that I shouldn't want. Hey, you know that that if you follow Jesus, he can help you through that. He can help you to beat that. Hey, I'm I'm prone to coveting and and, and I'm prone to hatred and anger and and I I tend to to do things I know I shouldn't do. You, You write the list in your own life. Scriptures say you're being given a new heart if you put your faith in Jesus. That there's a new possibility for transformation in your life. I shared this analogy last week. Someone pitches up at your door and they say, hey, we're important people. Let us come in. They come in. They say to you, we've done some testing, DNA testing. And you, of all the South African citizens that exist, you are the person that is best wired to become a marathon running champion. You look down at your body and you look up at them and you say, no, 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 no. I do not think you've seen me running lately. I do not think you can see me right now. I am not that person. They say, here we are. Is this your ID number? Yes, it is. Is this you? Yes, it is. We've done testing. You are the person that we think could best likely take us to the marathon champions next year. Your eyes go wide like saucers. Suddenly realize that deep inside of your DNA is the possibility to do something you never thought possible. You put your faith in Jesus, the spiritual FBI walk into your life and they say to you, you have possibilities to become the kind of person you never thought possible. You have the possibility, if you keep practicing, to become someone that lives more and more like Jesus. Possible. You, yes, of all people in the whole world, a person who's prone to anger and resentment and frustration, and maybe you don't talk well to your spouse, maybe you're not as kind as you should be, you can grow. You can be the salt and light. You can be the kind of person that you look and you go, I'll never be that kind of Christian. Yes, you can be. You can be that happy, contented human being that is joyful in God, even when circumstances aren't working out the way you planned when you've lost the job, when you don't have the cash, when things aren't working out the way you hope, you can be that person because of your trust in Jesus. But you need to trust Jesus. But you need to follow him. You need to to believe in him. And most importantly, you can't just try this thing. You've got to practice. Christians don't try things. Jesus never invited us into a journey and said, try me out for a day and then let's see how it goes. He goes to his disciples, and one by one, he walks along the beach, and he says, come follow me. His invitation is a long-term thing. His invitation is, he says, come follow me, and I will make you. Your transformation is about walking with 
me. Stick around with me and things are going to be amazing for you. Think of how he didn't just say, come follow me. Just before he was about to ascend, he'd, he'd lived the life he should have lived. He died the death he wanted to die for us. And then he's kind of, I think I imagine him on the beach when he's having that braai with his buddies and he's about to ascend. And uh, he simply says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Any chance we can open that door? It's about 40 degrees in here. It's going to be worth it. Here's the thing. Jesus says, come follow me. And then his final words are simply this. Hey, you guys need to do what I did. And obey what I said. Do what I do, obey what I say. That's, that's what it means to follow Jesus. What are some of the characteristics of a person who follows Jesus? Firstly, come as you are. Come as you are. It's grace catalyzed. You want to follow Jesus? Don't follow him because you have muscles that are tough and you're just a person with a strong will. Actually, you need to put your will down at the door. You need to say, actually, to start following Jesus is to say that I am not that strong, and I am not that impressive, and I don't have it all together, and actually, I need some saving before I can get this whole thing started. Yes, it's going to be hard work. Yes, I may need to get a bit of mind over mattress, wake up a little earlier, start reading my Bible, learn all the things of what it means to follow Jesus, but it's going to start by realizing before I follow him, he found me. He found you. He came on an all-out rescue mission to find you and I to do what we never thought we deserved in giving us a second chance. This is the gospel. You can't start following and practicing the ways of Jesus until you first realize he loves you before you did anything good. Jesus was baptized before he had performed one miracle. You get baptized. You don't baptize yourself, go for a swim and say, look at me, I'm baptized. Somebody else does it as a beautiful symbol of the fact that we can't save ourselves. Somebody else pushes us under the water, pulls us out again, and it's a display of the fact that Jesus comes and saves us by his grace alone. You want to follow Jesus? Do it under the auspices of his kindness. Secondly, you need a marathon mindset. Don't think that following Jesus is about a sprint. I'm just going to quickly do it. As I shared last week, I'm going to eat my broccoli once, and then I'm going to be fine. My daughter, Josie, she says, she's actually changed now. She's got it right. But she, we used to say, why are you so strong, Josie? And she'd go, because I ate broccoli. I ate it when, like in 20, you know, 2016. I ate broccoli, and now I'm strong. Hey, we sometimes do that in our spiritual lives. Because I, I went to church in 2018. It was fantastic. The pastor was great. You know, the, the way for real transformation is to practice. It's repeated. It's over and over and over. It's, it's a marathon. It's about training repeatedly, repeatedly, never giving up, never giving up. Thirdly, it's proximity dependent. This is crucial. It's grace-based. It's marathon-minded, but it's proximity dependent. Jesus says, come follow me. What does following entail? You can follow from a distance, but eventually you're going to lose track of where the person is. The best way to follow someone is to stick close to them. And Jesus intended that through his lifestyle. How astounding that the king of the world decided to live with a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and ordinary dudes just like you and I, and live his life amongst them because he wanted to model the fact that that's how we meant to live. We follow Jesus. 
into our workplace, into our family spaces, into the challenges of our lives. Jesus comes with us. We don't check him out at the door and get into our sort of commercial vibe, get into our corporate feel. No, no, we bring Jesus into our corporate world. We bring Jesus into every space we're in. And there's no exit clauses on this one. We want to be close to him. We want to spend time being transformed by him because we're close to him. Proximity speaks of the fact that I'm just wanting him close. This is not about actually Jesus being you know, fickle and going, well, you don't want me, I'll move away. This is actually about us being aware that he is always close. This is about us living lives knowing that he wants to walk with us and he is close, but how often I forget. Hey, in my evening reflections, how often I write and I go, man, Jesus, I forgot how close you were to me today. Man, I did that stuff and it was, it was just so unhelpful that I didn't remember that you actually loved me. I got insecure because I forgot that, that you were there and, and you loved me. I defended myself. I, I twisted the truth to make me look better because I forgot that you were with me. Man, becoming more like Jesus is about knowing that he's close. It's about living close to him. And then fourthly, it's about imitation. It's about imitating him. It's about becoming more like him because we practice doing what he actually did. We were meant to make disciples. That's what Jesus said. And we're meant to be disciples. We look at him and we go, you did that, so I'll do that. No, no, no. We're not going to walk on water. We are not going to multiply loaves and fishes on big mountainsides necessarily. Maybe some of you will. That's why I surf, by the way. It's my imitation of Jesus. I walk on water every now and again. But there's things we will imitate, the, the spirit with which he did things, the generosity, the, the kindness, the willingness to forgive, the life, the spirit of Jesus that's been given to a follower of Jesus is meant to be the empowering to imitate what he's like. Listen to what Eric Hoffer says. He says, when people are free to do as they please, they usually imitate each other. <laughs> Isn't it true? We all just love having someone to imitate. As much as we think, I'm going to rebel, I'm, going to do it like some, I'm not going to do it like anyone, we end up doing it like a rebel, just like another rebel that we found to imitate. We end up always finding someone to imitate. George Bernard Shaw, beautiful author, wrote, it's not just the sincerest, uh, imitation is not just the sincerest form of flattery, it's the sincerest form of learning. So we learn. You practice doing what another person did. Hey, that's how all of us are probably, those who've grown in our faith, it's because you saw someone, you watched them pray, you watched how they read their Bible, you watched how they loved their spouse, you watched how they loved people, you learn from other people. It's the magnificent journey of, dis, of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Hey, practicing what Jesus did. I don't want our church to be accused of being the kinds of people, thank you, wife. I don't want to be the kind of person who's accused of getting a church to go, hey, I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going to get heaven into me. Hey, I know that I'm safe when I die, but, but who cares how I live today? No ways. Let us never be accused of being that kind of church when we could have all the resources of heaven come to help us today. Hey, it's messy, by the way. It's clumsy. We forget to have quiet times. We forget to read our Bible. We forget to be kind. We forget grace. We forget all that stuff so often. But when it's a marathon mindset, you just, keep, you just keep getting up. You just keep going. You practice and you practice. And you look back a decade later and you go, sure, I've got another decade to get better, but I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was. There's so much profound possibility there. Last week, we looked at two practices that 
Jesus teaches us. And uh, those practices were reflection and scripture. Reflection and scripture. Reflection is, the, is this, this thing that Jesus did often where he would reflect on who God is and how God made the world and how we interact with God. And he would have conversations and he would go away and be quiet by himself and experience silence and solitude and prayer. And he would reflect on what's going on. We live in one of the noisiest times. You, you think of when last it was silent besides when you were sleeping. Many of us go to sleep with an audio book in our, our ears. Silence is something we, we don't do much of. and means that we, we're always being told what to think and how to think, rather than reflecting and spending time allowing God to shape our thoughts, reflecting on how things are going. By the way, Nix and I, when it comes to reflection, we're not, we, we, I don't want to oversell us. We, I never want to be that preacher who, who makes us look better than we are. But we're starting to parent our phones at the moment. And uh, parenting your phone means that your phone is not your parent. You actually get to manage it. And so we get home and there's a little space where we put our phones down. So they're not in our pockets means we're not like lying on the couch checking our stuff because our phones live in a special space, which means our kids actually see our faces not hidden behind a phone, which is really good for them, I believe. And um, so we, we're actually... And we leave them. And then at 7 o'clock, we try to put them to bed. And we say, actually, now it's time for us to just be together and to chat. And it sounds so silly, but, but sometimes the tiniest little things stop us from being able to have conversations of reflection and thoughtfulness because we miss out on these things. The other one I spoke about last week was Scripture. And we simply reminded ourselves that... Basically, the, the stats were amazing, and they still are. They studied 40,000 people. Read your Bible once a week, you see little to no transformation in your life. Twice a week, similar. Three times a week, there's a tiny spike in the transformation curve. Four times a week, and the uh, results are out of this world. Suddenly, heaven invades earth. I, th I think possibly because of a sense of, of, of purpose. A person who's reading the Bible at least four times a week is saying, this is a priority for me, and my heart needs this thing. Anything less is going, this is a religious duty that I do to clear my conscience. Hey, that, that's not what we do with the Bible. We read the Bible because we want God's Word to read our hearts. This week, I want to speak about two practices, and I'm going to keep them super short. The first one is service, and uh, the second one is community. Service and community. Let me mention service. This is a practice. This is what followers of Jesus have been doing for thousands of years, and Jesus calls us to do the same. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be an apprentice of his? Hey, learn to serve. Listen to Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, followers of Jesus are people who do what Jesus did and, and obey what Jesus said. He said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. One of the hardest, by the way. It's really tricky. Uh, or what about this? Jesus says this in John. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. So he's just done this amazing moment. He's about to be crucified. And you would imagine he's giving his last minute pep talk and pretty stressed and uh, sort of going, I know where I'm headed. This is not cool. Guys, won't you just stick with me and chop some ears off and get ready to take out the soldiers? And instead, he takes out a, a, a cloth and some water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And then he says to them, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. That's his way of saying, if you're my disciples, you're not better than me. You, 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 can't, do, you, you can't think that you're not going to do what I do, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, 
you will be blessed if you do them. You know the classic King James version of the Scriptures looks at this passage that says, you'll be blessed if you do them. And their best translation is, you will be happy if you do these things. The word happy, blessed, often in the words of Jesus, when they're talking about blessed or blessed are you if you do that, is actually the word happiness. Some even translated happy to the point of envy. People look at you and they go, why are you so happy? I wish I had some of that joy. It seems like it's otherworldly. It seems like it's got a whole other source. Where does your happiness come from? Jesus says it comes from serving. Serving just like I serve. It's about washing people's feet just like Jesus washed people's feet, loving the way he loved. That's what he's saying. Love people the way I loved. It's about looking at the world and seeing the broken pockets. It's about finishing church and and looking around and seeing a whole bunch of people who've got people to chat to and seeing the one who doesn't and saying, I want to serve. I want to find the person who doesn't have someone to chat to. It's about spotting the problems in society and saying, I want to help. I'm not primarily or only speaking about serving through the life of our church, although it's a fantastic opportunity and we probably should do that. But, but service is about looking at how Jesus spotted the broken and spotted the ailing and spotted the, the struggling and he moved towards it as a servant. He moved towards it in care and in love and he knew that this is what the world needed. I don't know how we're doing in serving. Henry No, and I quoted him a while ago, He basically was an incredible professor, high-powered, highly intelligent guy, wrote numerous books, and just was a brilliant giant of the faith. And with a number of the last years of his life, he went and served in a place for disabled children, and mentally and physically handicapped. And he spent his life there. He worked from there and would serve, and particularly one kid, Adam, he would wake up every morning and help him with his morning routine, because he knew, he said, these people are not there for me to help them. They help me. My serving them is what my heart needs more than anything. And in a hyper-individualistic, self-centered world, we don't need more stuff that makes us feel more comfortable. We need more stuff that makes us think less about ourselves, learn to forget about ourselves and serve others. We're all fending for the same little patch of ground. And Jesus says, stop defending your ground. I've done that on the cross. I've died for you. You've got everything you need now. You go love and serve just like I did. Henry Nouwen says, Indeed, the main spiritual question is not, what difference do you make? But what do you have in common? It's not excelling, but serving that makes us most human. It's not proving ourselves to be better than others, but confessing to be just like others. That is the way to healing and reconciliation. It starts at home. It starts with how we treat people. It starts with the words we choose. It starts with how we serve. It starts with me. Here's a confession. When I hear the kids not pretending I'm asleep. Really? It's true. One and two, you lie there and you close your eyes and you say, Nick will get up. She's better than me. She is better. She's a servant. Those moments where we know we could do the good we ought to do, says the Scriptures, and we do it. What serving's all about. It's about being honest about our weaknesses and going, I just wouldn't mind becoming better at being more like Jesus. The second one is community. Service first, community second. Let me talk a bit about that. Community is one of the things Jesus practiced so profoundly. Overwhelmingly too well, I think. I think a lot of us look at his lifestyle of community and we go, oh, 
Imagine, like he lived with these guys. He spent so much time with them. Is there any time I can just shut the door and go to bed and have some time alone? The answer is yes. The answer is, is yes. That's absolutely fine. But he does call us to new levels of inclusion, of involvement, of, of letting people get into our lives. Uh, he says it beautifully. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Even in the church, we've been let down by friends, right? People have heard us. And that's, that's going to happen. But just moving to a new lovely venue, it's not going to solve the problem of sin. We're going to hurt each other, guys. The wonder of community is not that we don't hurt each other or let each other down. It's that we've got Jesus to help us solve things so that we can love each other better when we get hurt, when we get let down. It's inevitable in a family that siblings hurt each other, forget each other, let each other down. Your true growth into becoming more like Jesus is that when you're hurt, you move towards that person in love and you learn to love them so that you move through it. I know this is so crucial in a consumer society that says, those guys messed up, I'm finding a new church. I don't mind if you find a better church. But I do mind if you're trying to find a better church because you're too scared to solve your relational challenges and you don't want to face up to stuff because people hurt you. That's not community. That's not family. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're meant to love each other. We're meant to deal with our differences. We're meant to push through stuff, and we're going to get better because of it. And when you do that, you find people have a higher reverence for one another, and they learn to treat each other better. And that's what a grace community is all about. Hey, practicing community is so crucial. By the way, actually, it's not a full practice. Community actually has so many sub-practices, things like confession and repentance. It's about being the kind of friends who actually, we can be honest with each other and go, man, I'm struggling with this temptation, and I need prayer, or hey, I've got a big thing going on, and I need help. I need, I need you to, to walk this thing through with me. So much of what we heard today is that. It's about celebration, the, the practice of celebration. We're called to be a community who see new kids come into the world and we celebrate and we get jobs and, and, and we celebrate and stuff happens in our lives and we learn to celebrate. I actually really trust that we will get a little more vocal as a church in the years to come, that we learn to celebrate with each other because it's fitting and Jesus loved a good celebration. He often stood up in big public spaces when it was celebration worthy and he would say what needed to be said. He loved weddings and feasts and all those kinds of things. We need a feast on God's goodness together. Hey, community involves service. I've already mentioned that. Encouragement, the practice of encouragement. Learning to, to uh, put courage into people. Generosity, the practice of generosity. Even when it hurts, so much of Scripture talks about being generous regardless of the, the pain. And, and, and the sacrifice, and prayer, we're going to talk about that next week, and worship and singing, it's a practice, learning to pray. Man, how many of us need a, a fresh injection of life in our prayer lives? We're going to talk about that next week. How can we do this better? And, and singing and worship, how do we do that better? We're going to talk about that next week. Imagine uh, those basketball players. You ever seen them spinning a ball on their finger? I, I think that's a bit like a community. Especially when I think of two main practices of community. I think of Sundays and I think of, of life groups. You think of a basketball player. They just spin it and it goes for a while and then it starts losing momentum and they try to do it and then they give it a little flick and it keeps going. Give it a little flick and it keeps momentum. And, and it seems like for the last uh, few uh, millennia, the last two, followers of Jesus have given at least two flicks a week. Sundays, they gather together. 
And, and then Wednesdays, or sometime in the middle of the week in smaller groups, they gather. And they just keep their spiritual momentum going through these regular senses of meeting. And they keep spinning and spinning and spinning. And, and, and yes, you can miss one or two here and there, and nobody's checking, and there's no prefects here who are watching over your back to check. But I would say that the, the less momentum you get, the easier it is to put the ball down. It's easier just to, to stop spinning it. But, but the more you meet, the more you spend time, the more you, you learn to love each other, the more you connect with one another on Sundays and on Wednesdays, the more you want to actually be with each other outside of those hours. The more you actually want to just hang and have a surf or, or have a meal or, or go for a ride or do whatever you do. Those are male things. Whatever women do together, just do those things because you've just got momentum. This thing's spinning and it's fun and you're enjoying it. Community's meant to be the same. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a song. It's been a meeting full of richness and full of God's glory. And I want to just ask us this question. Are you ready to make some slightly longer-term commitments? Marathon-like things. Because as much as I want to be that pastor who makes us feel good, I had this sort of picture of we've done it a lot this holiday where we get to the really cold Atlantic Ocean. And uh, it's the sense of you go in and we're shouting from the shore if it's one of our kids or if it's one of us. And everyone's shouting, go in, go in. And you sort of like, you know, waist deep or a little lower. And everybody's looking at the freezing water and it's like, do I go or don't I? And, and, and eventually you drop yourself in and you just feel that glorious, cold, ice cream headache. And you come out and you feel great for hours. And it's just it's glorious. The Atlantic keeps you alive, man. But this is not actually what I'm speaking about. I'm not asking for a spiritual beasting moment where we all go, yay, I dived in. I'm thinking more of us looking at this as going, I want to change the, some of the rhythms of my life. I want, to, I want to make some decisions that are day by day with the marathon mindset, that are infused with grace, that they speak to this thing of I'm going to practice and practice and practice and keep practicing. I'm going to spend a decade of my life and, and when I forget for a week or I forget for a month, that's okay. I'm just going to get back on and I'm going to keep practicing. I haven't confessed for a while, but I'll practice because Jesus did it. I haven't forgiven someone in a while and I know I should have. I'm, it doesn't mean I've given up because it didn't work. I know forgiveness works. I'm going to try. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to practice. I'm going to practice. I'm going to practice. And I'm going to practice because that's what followers of Jesus do. They stick close to him. They walk with him and they look back in a decade and they go, they're more like him. A week isn't long enough, a month probably isn't either, and even a year might not be long enough to see major spiritual progress. I'm calling us to a decade of practicing the ways of Jesus, infused with the grace of the gospel. And then, who knows what might happen in our hearts? Who knows what might happen through our community with the people who are so infused with his life and with who he is and what he's like? Let's pray into that end. Let's stand together. Jesus, this morning we, as much as we love a plunge into the Atlantic, and as much as we love moments where you do, by your Spirit, do special and beautiful things, we're at the start of a decade, we're at the beginning of a journey, we, we're not just looking at a quick dip, a bee sting moment, we're looking at a journey of following you, of becoming more like you. This is a moment where we take sober thought. We were to really to run a marathon any time, we would need to consider a training regime. We'd need to consider the right equipment, 
the right attitudes, the right disciplines. We need to decide whether we want this thing. Lord Jesus, I know I want this thing, and I know many in this room want to know you better and to follow you more closely. My prayer for all of us that as we stand before you this morning, that we would begin that journey, that we would say yes to the marathon, to the glorious day by day, hour by hour, practicing what you've called us to practice. Scripture, reflection, community, prayer, worship, confession, repentance, all the stuff that makes up following you. I pray it's infused with your love and with your kindness and your mercy. Maybe some want to start that journey today. You want in on the following Jesus journey. You want to start that thing this morning? Jesus says, come follow me. He doesn't call you to be perfect. He just calls you to follow him. He calls you to stop doing it in your own strength. Stop trying to be your own savior. He says, I can save you. I died for you. I lived for you. And I rose again for you. And I'm the king of life. Let your life start before you die. Let it start today. If that's you. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. And I ask you to just, in a sense, hand over the leadership of your life to Jesus. To say yes to walking with him and following his ways and letting him begin to, to teach you how to truly live. If that's you. Just say these words with me under your breath, in your heart. Say, Jesus, I... Realize today that I can't solve all my own problems. That I can't fix my life by myself. That I can't forgive myself. I need your forgiveness. I need your leadership. I need your love. Lord Jesus, I need your saving. Today, Jesus, I choose to follow you and to learn what that means because there's so much I still have to learn. I pray for your help. I pray for your presence to, to be more with me. So much I don't understand, but one thing I know is I want to walk with you. You help me to do that. In your precious name, Jesus. Father, I pray for every person in this room, for strength, joy, and love as we begin this journey, as we continue this journey for many, but, but just freshly infused with a desire to live like you lived, to follow what you said. Let's sing together.